right, see, we're off to a good start because I'm going to need a little audience participation at this point. There you go. Now, all of the introverts in the room, you can be at ease. The, the panic that you feel in your chest right now, it is unwarranted, I promise you. Uh, you can relax. I am not going to randomly call people up on the stage. Um, we're not going to act out scenes from the Bible this morning, although that could be very entertaining. I'm actually just needing a yes or a no response to five different questions about prayer. And if that's too much to ask, you can just shake your head, yes or no. See, I'm really lowering the bar on this whole participation side of things right now. So here are my questions. Question number one, remember, it's just yes or no. Does God want Christians to pray? Yes. yes. Good. Okay. Can any Christian pray? Yes. yes. Does God teach us how to pray in the Bible? Yes. yes. Can we share anything with God in prayer? Yes. Does God actually answer prayer? Yes. Okay, so now I'm confused. Do you mean to tell me that we can know all the right answers about prayer and still try to do it all in our own strength? That's what I think I just heard. If we know the right answers, this isn't a knowledge thing. We know what we're supposed to know in this moment. If any believer can pray, this is not an access thing. This, this is not like you got to be a believer for 10 years before you can pray, or you got to be a really spiritual, spiritual believer, and then God will allow you to pray. That, that's not what this is. If you can bring anything to God in prayer, and we know that God answers prayer, then this is not a restriction thing. It's not that he says, only bring certain things to me. Or for that matter, it's not an answer thing. It's not like I'll answer if I want to or I'll answer if I get around to it. That's not what it is. This literally could be a breakthrough moment for a lot of people in their prayer lives. Our struggles in prayer have little to do with a lack of knowledge, access, restrictions, or answers. It has a lot to do with a lack of faith. Even though we know the right things, we don't really believe the right things. Think of it like this. Faith is like fuel in a car. That car might have all the right parts in all the right places. It might be prepared and ready to run well. But if you don't have any fuel in the tank, you ain't going nowhere. You're going to be looking good on the side of the road. See, faith knows the right truths, and it acts in response to that knowledge. Our knowledge of prayer is only as good as our faith in God. Let me say that again. Our knowledge of prayer is only as good as our faith in God. So now let's narrow our focus a little bit more for what we're dealing with today. You all know we've been studying verse by verse through the book of James, and this is a book that explores how wisdom and spiritual maturity, those two pieces, wisdom and spiritual maturity, allows a person to be undivided in their beliefs and their behaviors, between their convictions and their actions, between who they want to be 
and who they actually are. That person, when they are in this undivided state, they are living with integrity. What you see is what you get. What they profess is what they live. Does that make sense? Okay, all that comes through those two things, wisdom and spiritual maturity. Now, we just saw a moment ago that that issue can be there as far as this internal division in the context of our prayers. If our convictions about prayer does not align with our actions in prayer, we're living a divided life. We're saying one thing, we're doing something completely different. There's internal division. So now as we step into chapter 1, verse 5, we are met with the conjunction, but. Now there's some moments in Scripture when that conjunction comes up, all of a sudden, it kind of sets your heart attention because you know you're about to get called out on something. This is actually a good moment right here. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So we've spent four weeks studying trials from the vantage point of perspective and faith and maturity and perseverance. And now James brings up this subject of prayer. And here's what he's saying. If you're still struggling in your trial, if you're still trying to figure out what is God doing, if you don't understand the process that he is maturing you through, if you're trying to frame this thing well in your mind, if that describes you, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he gives to all liberally or generously and without reproach. We're to ask God for wisdom. Oh, but listen, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to ask. And this text lays it out so clearly. So go back to where we began just a few moments ago. To ask God for wisdom requires us to pray. And we've already discovered that we can know the right things and not necessarily believe the right things or act in the right way. So verse number six, if you're thinking, is there really a right or a wrong way to pray for wisdom? Verse six should clarify that. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. You got to believe this. It's not enough to be able to say the right thing. You got to believe it. And to the person who doubts, verse number seven gives this little nugget. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. We have to be undivided in our prayers when coming to God for wisdom. It's not enough to know the right thing. We got to live that right truth. We have to act out that truth. Our knowledge of prayer is only as good as our faith in God. So here's my question this morning. How do we close that gap? How do we close the gap between this is what I profess to believe about prayer and this is what I actually do in prayer? Could it be that many people in this room, many people who are watching online, could it be that you have been going to God in the midst of your trials and you have been saying, God, I need your wisdom and you're hearing nothing because you're not actually believing he's going to answer you? Some, have you all ever tried to hedge your bets in prayer? It's like you ask God while you're still doing your own thing over here. And it's almost like if God doesn't answer, I got plan B, C, and D that I'm about to step into. 
This is one of those sections where God is unbelievably clear. If you ask him for wisdom, you are to ask in faith without any doubting. If you're doubting, he says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Oh, it's going to be a good morning. <laughs> Amen. Go with me in your Bibles. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. James 1, 5 through 8. We're going to read this text. I'm going to get into what it has to say. By the way, when I say it's going to be a good morning, even when the word is hard, it's still good. It, even when you get there and you're like, oh, I knew that, but I don't like the way it feels. Here's the thing. Would you rather go through the rest of your life doing the wrong thing and not hearing from God? Or would you rather him just stop you and say, can I tell you what you're doing wrong? Praise God for those types of texts. All right, let's see what it has to say. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know what each person in this room needs to hear. God, would you allow your spirit and your word to penetrate each heart in just the right way. God, meet us where we need it the most. In Jesus' name, amen. We all need wisdom. Verse 5 is one of the greatest promises of wisdom found anywhere in your Bible. You could basically summarize this entire section, this entire message with this one statement. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it, and he will give it to you. That's pretty much it. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it, and he will give it to you. Praise the Lord. That's a good promise from God. But James is also clear, you must ask in faith. For the person who doubts, verse 7, that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, I don't know if you write in your Bible. I don't know if you highlight in your Bible. But if I were you and you did those things, I would highlight, underline the word anything. Don't expect to receive any, anything big, anything small, anything for you, anything for your family, anything in crisis, anything in comfort. Ought not to expect anything. From the, that's, that's a strong word right there. God takes doubt seriously. So why is doubting God in reference to his promises, specifically with prayer, why is doubting God so offensive? Why does God take that so seriously? Well, doubting God's promises in prayer is an attack against the very character of God. Verse number five gives an unmistakable promise. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it, and he will give it, for you, give it to you. God did not stutter. He did not mumble his way through that promise. He was so bold in this that he put it in black and white because he is so faithful that he is going to keep his word. As my childhood pastor used to say, don't ever put a question mark where God placed a period. When God promises to give us wisdom, and then we doubt that he's actually going to give us wisdom, 
It's the equivalent of saying, God, I hear you, but I think you're a liar. That's a different way to hear that same thing, isn't it? You're basically saying, God, I see it. It's right there in the word. You're very clear. I just don't believe it. I, I don't believe that any refers to me. I don't believe that I can always ask you. I, I just don't believe it. Is it any wonder God says that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord? So sometimes it's hard to put an con- idea like that in the context of how God would receive it. So let's bring that basic idea back for how it is that some of us would receive it. So parents, specifically dads, I want you to think how you would respond if this situation happened in your house. Let's say your teenage son comes to you and says, Dad, would you help me with my homework? And you say, I'll be there in three minutes. Let me first finish my conversation with your mom. To which your teenage son says, "Mm, see, that's the problem. See, I don't know if it's how you said it or the fact you weren't really excited when you said that to me, but I just, I don't believe it. I think you're lying to me. So I'm just going to be in my room, and if you do happen to get around to it and you're not lying, would you come help me with that? Oh, and by the way, can I borrow the car this weekend? (laughs) Dads, how many of you would say, thank you for calling me out on my character? Thank you for being so confident that you can express every thought that goes through your mind. And I know that I have only been here since before your birth, and I have kept a roof over your head and food in your stomach and clothes on your back and paid every single bill you have ever had. And I have been at your ball games, and I have been a part of your life, and I have taught and I trained you all along the way. But what do I know? Yes, I'm probably a liar, so I'm going to stop exactly what I'm doing right now. And yes, here's the keys to the car. Would you do that? If you anything like me, I'd say, enjoy your F, punk. Hope you like summer school. Ain't no school like summer school, amen? And you can drive the car when you can buy a car. Like, you're not going to put up with that junk in your house. So when God says, if you lack wisdom, ask me for it, and I'll give it to you. And we say, I hear you, I just don't believe you. Is it any wonder that he says, that person ought not expect to get anything from the Lord? There is something about character. It goes back to when he says it, when he writes it, when he presents it, that that it's Bound to his character, he is trustworthy, he is faithful, he is going to do exactly what he said he is going to do. So even in these moments along the way, when a person is saying, God, I don't even know what to pray for at this moment. I want to be careful here. Not knowing what to pray for is not the same as having doubts when you pray. Okay, there are moments when you're sitting there and you're like, God, I don't, I don't know which way is up right now. 
I don't know if I need to ask you to heal this person or take them home. I don't know if I need to be praying for this job or that job. I don't know if I should be asking you for a house or another year in an apartment. God, I don't even know what to do. In those cases, Romans 8 says the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he does it according to the will of God. So here's the great thing. Even when we don't know what to pray for, we can still trust God in that moment. His, his character has not changed. So even when we don't know what to pray for, we can trust him. And when he puts it in black and white, we can trust him. In other words, trust him at all points along the way. That all leads into our big truth for this morning. Trials require wisdom. Wisdom requires asking. Asking requires faith, and doubting gets you nothing. Trials require wisdom. Wisdom requires asking. Asking requires faith, and doubting gets you nothing. Now, we're going to dive deeper into this statement. And we're going to break that concept, not necessarily the actual phrases, but the concept of our big truth down. And basically what we're going to do is see what this text has to tell us about acquiring God's wisdom in the midst of trials. So here's first statement, very simple, but I, I want you to see how beautifully clear God's word is here. here. Here's our first statement. When trials are confusing, you need wisdom. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Okay, so where do we get this from? Look at the very first word of verse 5. But... That's, that's the one piece I want you to focus on for just a moment. When believers go through trials, we need a special measure of understanding. We need wisdom. And James tells us a little bit later on in this letter, chapter 3, verse 17, that God's wisdom is first pure. Pause there for a moment. Think about how your perspective would be different if you got this from God. God's wisdom is first pure, then peaceable gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. Man, I need me a lot of that in my life. The repetition of the word lack in verse number five shows that he is still discussing what he just came from about trials in verse four. So if you look back over into verse four, he assures us that when perseverance has its finished work, that believer will be perfect and complete, here's the word, lacking in nothing, lacking in nothing. And then in verse 5, he begins with, but if any of you lacks wisdom, he's tying these two verses together. Here's basically what he's saying. There is going to be a period of time between perseverance, making you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, and where you are right now. So if you're in this in-between stage, here's what you do. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it. Now, why do we need wisdom in the midst of our trials and maybe not ask God for strength or asking for grace or, for that matter, asking for deliverance? Like, why ask God for wisdom? We need wisdom so that we don't waste the trials as to what God is doing to bring about spiritual maturity. Those trials, those circumstances that God allows us to go through are perfectly designed to bring to the surface things we don't want to address 
and for God to instill truths that, here it is, many times we say we believe, but we live like we don't actually believe them. Those trials are perfectly designed for this. Wisdom helps us to know how to use the circumstances in a way in which it's for our good and for his glory. Wisdom gives us the ability to skillfully navigate those difficult moments along the way. Our primary need when we're in the middle of a trial is not more money, it's not more time, it's not more resources. Our primary need is we need more wisdom from God as to how he would desire to live through us in that moment. So here's the second part of this. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it. Very clear in verse number five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, we're not looking for just any old type of wisdom. We're looking for God's wisdom. We're looking for his perspective. Trials have a way of pointing out how bad we need wisdom. Trials show us our need. Trials bring us through pain. Trials show that we lack understanding at certain moments. Trials help us to see we're not bulletproof. So it's in those moments that there is a wisdom need that is taking place. When we are there, we can ask God for wisdom. And when we ask him for wisdom, it says in the text, he gives generously and without reproach. Uh, Generously, it carries this idea of singleness of heart, of doing something unconditionally without bargaining. Uh, The only condition here is that we ask him. That's it. If you lack wisdom... Ask God. The other part of this is reproach. That refers to a severe reprimand. (laughs) I don't know if you all have had this before, but there are those times when you get yourself in a bind and you know God put up 30 different red flags in front of you before you got yourself in a bind. And now that you're in the middle of it and you're facing the consequences, you're embarrassed about praying and going back to God because you know in your mind, it's like God's going to look down and say, what did I tell you? Like you messed up. That's what I tried to warn you. Here's here's what's so beautiful in this. When it says without reproach, it means without a reprimand, without scolding. He doesn't look at you and say you are unworthy and you should have known better. Rather, when you come to him, he says, I'll give you wisdom generously and without reproach. Praise God for the mercy that we have in him. Thank the Lord for that. By the way, this phrase Let him ask is not optional. It's a command in the language. We are to ask. So let's hit the pause for just a moment. Why don't we ask God for wisdom in some of our trials? Why why, why don't we? There's any number of ways we can answer this, but I'll give you a few to kind of get the list going. Sometimes we don't ask God for wisdom in the trials because we already know what God wants us to do and we just don't want to do it. And you know if you ask him, he's going to tell you and it's going to get in the way of what you're trying to accomplish. So you know what you do? You just kind of keep cruising through life. You're like, if I can just ride this thing out until the trial is done. There's another reason we don't ask God for wisdom Sometimes we don't ask because we don't think God's going to answer in a timely fashion. 
In our mind, we're like, oh, he'll answer just like three years after I need it. So I'm going to go ahead and do my thing. I'm just not going to ask. I'm not going to wait. And then sometimes we don't ask because pride makes us think with enough time, we'll figure it out ourselves. So when I was young, there was this annoying little toy called the Rubik's Cube. How many of you remember that irritating device? Amen. So for those of you who don't remember, it was a little cube, had six different colors on six different sides. Each of the different blocks would move without the other ones having to be a part of that. And the object was to get all of the colors on all of the same sides. So when it came out, there were some teachers that I knew, they figured it out in a couple of hours. And then the really smart kids in school, they figured it out in a couple of days. And I'm like a couple of weeks in, I hadn't figured nothing out. And I just got mad with this thing. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. There's got to be more than one way to figure it out. So I never figured out legally or the right way how to fix a Rubik's Cube. But I did find you could remove those stickers. <laughs> and you could arrange those jokers any way you wanted to. I could make smiley faces on the side of my Rubik's Cube. I could put it all together. So here it is. I gave the illusion of success while the problem was just as big as it ever was. Some of us are doing the same thing when it comes to our trials. We don't want to tell other people we don't know what we're doing. We don't want to tell other people how bad it's hurting. We don't want to pray because we know that God is going to tell us something different than what we want to do. So what we try to do, we manipulate things. We change the circumstances. We give the appearance of success, but the problem's just as big as it ever was. Here's what God says, oh, I, I want to help you. I want to help you. I know where you're at. If you lack wisdom, just ask me. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you generously. I'll give it to you without reproach. God wants to help. You say, but I don't know the intentions of God in this. I don't know what his help's going to look like. Well, verse 5, James gives a couple of pieces to help us understand the character of God. He assures the reader of the goodness of God that this is not just wisdom that is reserved for the elite. He says, if any of you, any, asks for wisdom, God is good like that. Then James says he gives generously, liberally, uh, abundantly, not just a little dabble, do you? Not just a little bit to get you through the moment. He will pour out his wisdom upon those who ask him. And then finally, James says that God gives wisdom without reproach. He's not going to reprimand you. He's not going to insult you. He's not going to scold you. He is gracious in what he does. God is good. God is generous. God is gracious. That's why we can trust him in this. Next part. When you ask for wisdom, ask in faith. Very simple. Verse 6, first part. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. Uh, James turns the focus from the willing father to the waiting child. He explained what are we to ask for, wisdom, and he also described how are we to ask. We are to ask in faith. Now, this kind of goes like the slogans that show up on refrigerators and homes of parents who have small children in the house. And usually it goes something like this, like rule number one, your parents are always right. Rule number two, 
If your parents are wrong, refer to rule number one. Okay? Here's a, an equivalent in this text. God's given us two rules for accessing his wisdom when we need it the most. Rule number one, God will give you wisdom for your trials. Rule number two, don't doubt rule number one. Don't go back on this. It's so clear. He will give you wisdom for your trials. Look at the beauty of this between verses five and six. There's two things it tells us to do. Verse five, let him ask of God. Verse six, let him ask in faith. Ask God, ask in faith. Ask God, ask in faith. Here's the last part. If you doubt God, don't expect anything from him. Verses 6 through 8. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to, not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A request for wisdom that doubts God's ability or God's trustworthiness. That is a request that is an offense to the character of God. Hebrews eleven six reminds us, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and catch the next part of this, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. James tells us that doubting as a believer, it's like the surf of the sea. It's driven and it's tossed by the wind. That type of immaturity also leads to other types of danger. If you were to write the reference off to the sign, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. The Apostle Paul uses that same exact imagery of those who are tossed here and there by the waves. Except in Paul's analogy, he says that person will be carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. When we don't trust God, listen, when we don't trust God, things only get worse. So you've got two of these guys. You've got Paul and you've got James. And Paul's answer to deceive Christians in Ephesians 4 is be grounded in the word. James's answer to those who are deceived Christians or doubting Christians in James 1 is be grounded in faith. Be grounded in the word, grounded in faith. Now, according to James, this double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Although he claims to be a believer, he acts like an unbeliever. In many ways, he is a functioning atheist. He might not renounce the existence of God. He just acts as though God does not exist. He acts as though God does not care. He acts as though God is unable to come in and to help in times of need. He is divided between his beliefs and his behaviors. Integrity is broken at this point. Double-minded is literally translated as double-souled. This is somebody at the core of their being. It's an individual who at one moment is saying, I believe. Next moment they're saying, no, I don't. I believe. No, I don't. Circumstances drag them back and forth. They are shifting. They are unstable. As it said in the text, unstable in all his ways. Again, that's one of those great words to underline or highlight. All Okay, this isn't just something that happens when they're going through stressful times. 
There's an instability in all their ways. What comes out in the trials is what's been sitting there the whole time. It's easy to say one thing when you're not going through a trial and you're not being challenged on it. You find out what you really believe when you're in the middle of that trial and what comes out of your life is exactly what was sitting in the recesses of your heart. The instability is not just during trials and stressful moments. It's a pattern of this person's life. They run hot or cold. They're all in or out. They're unpredictable. They're unsettled. They're fluctuating. There is an instability about this person in in their work, in their family, in their finances, in the present, in the future. They're unstable in all their ways. In John Bunyan's classic work, Pilgrim's Progress, he calls such a man, quote, Mr. Facing Both Ways, end of quote. What an interesting thought. So let me wrap it up like this. Do you need God's wisdom for a trial that you're going through? And again, I want to be real clear on this. It doesn't have to be that you feel like your life is burning to the ground for it to be a trial. There's different degrees of trials that we walk through. So let me just say, do you believe you could use God's wisdom for some challenges you're going through? Have you been asking God for wisdom all along the way? And yet, does it seem as though God has been silent in much of your prayers? Is it possible? Is it possible? that you're saying one thing about what you believe, but deep in your heart, you're like, I don't really believe that. If that's the case, Scripture says, you have to ask in faith without any doubting. You say, but Paul, I don't know if my faith is that strong. Remember, here's what you got to do. Even when you don't know how it's going to turn out, say, God, I don't know about this but I know I can trust you. So, Lord, I'm just going to keep bringing it to you. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know the steps along the way. I guarantee I'm going to blow it 35 million more times probably before it's done. I just don't know. But, God, I know if there's one thing that's sure in this moment, it's you. So I'm going to keep coming to you. My faith is in you. God, I need wisdom. Sometimes not even just wisdom for the whole thing. God, give me wisdom for the next 30 minutes. Give me wisdom for today. God, I I don't know. I just need wisdom. That person will find that God just keeps pouring it out and pouring it out. And here's what you'll see. They might not get the answer they're looking for on day one, but they get the wisdom they need to make it through day one. Then they go into day two, and they're like, I don't know what to do today. And he meets you with fresh grace and mercy in that new day. And he pours out his wisdom for another day. And then you look back, and it's been months. It's been years. And you see all along the way, he has faithfully supplied, faithfully supplied. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him. Don't let discouragement and doubt become fertile soil in your life. If you let that happen, the enemy will sow lie after lie into the seed of doubt. And before you know it, you drift further away from God 
and further away from God, and all of a sudden one day you wake up and say, how did I get here? Doubting the promises of God is a dangerous step, and it is an offense to the character of God. So here's how we're going to close out. I don't know where everybody's at. I, I don't know what you're walking through that maybe it's only you and God who knows what you're going through. It might be you've been there for a long time and you're like, I, I don't know what the next step needs to be. What I do know is we all need wisdom. What I do know is by ourselves we will just mess up a bunch of stuff. So when you look in a church like this and sometimes you're like, why do I feel like I'm the only one who can't get it together? Everybody else around me seems to be smiling and happy and things go well for them. Oh, please hear me. If you only knew what's on the other end of calls and emails and texts that we receive, there's pain and hurt and confusion that happens in all lives. It's a part of living in a broken world. But if there's a place that believers should be able to be themselves and be genuine, let it be in the house of God, around the people of God, with a God who is rich in grace and mercy. That's one of the reasons I love worship before and after a service. It's one of the most incredible moments where it's like God gives us pockets of time where our mind comes off of self and on him, and you begin to see people break free for just a moment. I don't know where you're at today. But what I do know is God says, if you need wisdom, ask me for it, and I'm going to give it to you. Will you ask him today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to ask our pastors and some of their wives to come forward. The band is going to take their place. It might be that for some of you, you have been running from what God has said for a long time. As I said, you might not be asking for wisdom because you already know what God is saying. This is a submission moment for you. There might be others in the room that God has been after you, and there's been multiple moments along the way, especially in the last couple of weeks, couple of months, where you feel this conviction of God about the fact you need to get this right. It might be a situation of salvation. It might be about baptism. It might be about getting things right between you and another believer, and you keep putting that piece off. There's an obedience side for you. It might be that you're in a place right now, you're looking for a church home. You've been out searching. You've been checking out different churches. You want to find a place that loves Jesus, is going to preach the word, and true biblical community is going to happen. If that's your desire, I want to encourage you, come talk to one of these pastors here in just a moment. It might be today you just need some time to either kneel where you're at turning your seat into an altar, come to the front and pray here. I, I don't know what God is doing in your life. The thing I don't want to do is try to manipulate a move of the Holy Spirit. I believe 100% when people are willing to obey him, God's the one who does the work. So I'm going to have a word of prayer. We're going to have a song. The, the invitation is going to be open. I encourage you to respond as God prompts you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing. Not a few things or some things, we can do nothing. So, Lord, we are asking today that you would meet us individually at our greatest point of need. 
Lord, may you do a work in the hearts of those that are weary, those who are needing wisdom, those who are wanting to give up right now in the journey. God, meet them in such a fresh and a powerful and a profound and a personal way that they know without a shadow of a doubt that today they've met with you. So, Lord, you alone have to be the one to do that. And, God, we'll be grateful for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? The altar is open. Respond as the Spirit of God prompts you.